Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Hardware Podcast. My name is Jackson Danner alongside uh, Omar Borja. Uh, as you guys already know, we're going through different college football awards. And uh, man, we're coming up close to the uh, to the Home Depot Awards show coming up later in December. Uh, but this week, uh, we're going to do the John Mackey Award. If you don't already know, goes out to the best tight end in the nation. Or does it, Omar? We're going to talk a little bit about this by dividing up these prospects and the semifinalists as the Mackey award uh, committee uh, board. I don't know what they call it, but uh, they've already come up with their semifinalist list. Omar and I saw a few guys that might've been snubbed off of there uh, that deserve to be on uh, at least the watch list, but definitely the semifinalist list. And so uh, I'm going to be going over the guys that they actually have and actually have a shot to win it. Omar, you're going to be going over some, uh, some guys that maybe should be on there. Absolutely. Let's get started. I mean, I'm excited too. Um, I was not aware that the Mackey Award had released their semifinalists. Um, so, I mean, I compiled my own list of guys that I thought were deserving and also not, not just deserving, but also like kind of like big, like huge names at tight end, you know, whether they had high draft stock beginning, like at the beginning of the year, like Charlie Kohler, who was a semifinalist. So, I mean, not to necessarily thunder or guys that, um, had burst on the scene last year, whether it be like, you know, everyone knows Michael, Michael Mayer. I think, uh, I'm not sure if this is a widespread nickname, but baby Gronk. I don't, I heard Chris Fowler call him that on the, on the, on the broadcast um, early in the season of Florida state and Notre Dame, but yeah, no, let's, let's get into it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll go ahead and, and take the lead on this one. Again, the guys I'll be going over are semifinalists. They actually have a shot to win this award. Omar's going to be going over guys that uh, that should have a shot to win the award, but aren't going to at least this year. Um, my first guy, Isaiah Likely, out of Coastal Carolina. Uh, an incredible year that he's had so far. Uh, 37 receptions, 632 yards, eight touchdowns, and over 17 yards per catch. Uh, Likely has had a phenomenal year. It certainly helps that he has grace in the call, throwing in the ball. Omar, I, I mean, he's got such a build. He's strong. He's fast. He's athletic. There's this clip. I'm going to post it on the Instagram story. Uh, there's this clip of him against Kansas where McCall throws it a little bit off, uh, doesn't throw it where he should, right? And he turns his body. It's just such an athletic catch for a tight end, something you don't see too often uh, from guys with that size. Uh, but, man, uh, likely is having a heck of a year. And any time you're over, I mean, 15 yards per catch, but 17 is just ridiculous. So. Isaiah Likely is my first guy. I mean, I think Likely is a front runner. Uh, well, I think he'll be top three. I think he'll be a finalist. Uh, the yards per catch is absolutely impressive from the tight end position, averaging 17 yards per catch. He also had a, a game for the ages, if we're talking tight ends. Uh, the Arkansas State game, eight catches, 232 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, four touchdowns in itself is impressive for a receiver or, or a tight end. But the fact that he did it on only eight catches and averaged nearly 30 yards a catch – so it's, it's, it's a testament to Isaiah likely and how he runs that offense. Like he's, it, it's hard. It's hard. It's, I guess it's rare that you see a deep threat tight end, but the way Coastal's offense works with that shotgun option scheme, I mean, and, and the RPOs and everything, like it just works and likely in a position, like really no other tight end in the country. So um, I think he, I think he ends up a finalist and in the top three. 
and deservedly so. Um, Omar, I know you're going to be going over guys with some more touchdowns, some better touchdown numbers than a lot of the guys I'll be going over. But, man, over all these guys, Brock Bowers out of Georgia, uh, we've talked about Kohler a little bit, McBride. Like, man, he has more touchdowns than all these guys. Um, and this is something that I was going to get into a little bit later. I'll, I'll just go ahead and bring it up now. For a, a true X and Z receiver, or even slot receivers, I'm not too worried about it if uh, if your touchdown numbers are low, right? Because it's just that I don't think that's a great evaluation. Uh, personally, I don't, at least. I mean, certainly, it ma- I don't want to say it doesn't matter. I'm just saying that you can be a great wide receiver without great touchdown numbers. Like, look at Stephon Diggs this year. But, man, with tight ends, I- I- I'm going to have to say otherwise. Like, I think t- touchdowns are a true indicator a lot of times of how good you are as a tight end, because man, if you've got that size, you want to be able to use it in the red zone. You just don't want to, you know, with wide receivers, you're not always going to throw it out on a fade or something like that. You don't always trust your quarterback to do that, but man, in the red zone, you've got to trust the size of your tight end, that athleticism of your tight end to go and get that ball. And man, Isaiah likely has put up, you know, eight touchdowns, which is awesome this year. My next guy, um, I'm going to go with, uh, another great touchdown number and even more yards per catch a Brock Bowers out of Georgia, as much as it pains me to say this, uh, he has had a phenomenal year, 28 receptions, 493 yards, six touchdowns and uh, 17.6 yards per catch certainly helps that he plays for the number one team. And you can't be a tight end on Georgia and not be great at run blocking too, which is such an important part as a tight end, you know, as Kittle and Gronk and all of them say at TU up in Nashville, We've got to run routes like receivers and we've got to block like offensive tackles. Like yeah, it's really part of the job description. Hopefully the the people that uh, vote on the Mackey award are actually, you know, watching the all 22 and watching to see if they're actually what, uh, you know, run blocking. Well, also, but uh, man, uh, Bowers has had a heck of a year. I don't mean like really the sweet spot for being a tight end and winning this award is being, um, you know, in a pro style scheme and Georgia's, excuse me, Georgia's scheme, of course, is as pro style as it gets. And they have the powerful run game as well. So the play action game is, is banging as well. So Bowers is in a good spot. But again, it's like, I guess perception kind of hurts him in terms of this. He's on the number one team in the country, but it's also Georgia. When you think about Georgia, you think about Nick Chubb, Todd Gurley, um, Sonny Michelle. Uh, and just really like, you know, every single back that's come out of there, DeAndre Swift, and you don't really think about tight ends in the passing game. So I, I really think that's going to hurt Bowers when it comes to the voting um, for this award. I think it may be on the flip side of the coin of that point, right? Like you don't think of Georgia as a deep throwing team. So to have such a high yards per catch is insane on Georgia. Also, Georgia is running a lot of these 13, 23, 22 personnel sets. Like they're running it more than almost anyone else in the country. Like, I mean, to be able to stand out like that on a team with at least, you have to have at least three good tight ends on that roster and and dressing every Saturday. And they have that and Bowers is still standing out among all of them. So I, I don't know. I might disagree with you a little bit. Same coin, just the different side of that, which I mean, as much, you know, I'm, you know, don't like Georgia, but man, I mean, yeah, I got to hand it to him. Like Browers has really stood above the rest when there are more of quote unquote, the rest than a lot of these other guys are having to deal with. 
Okay, yeah, no, I'll, I'll go with that because, I mean, there are some good yards for catch, guys. I mean, like, um, Isaiah, Isaiah Likely, like you mentioned, um, a guy for like, another guy, I'm going to mention another guy that was snubbed in terms of yards for catch as well. But, uh, but yeah, no, I see, I see where you're coming from as well. Um, where I guess it's, it's, I guess, out of the ordinary to see a tight end from Georgia doing all these great things with yards for catch and explosiveness. Yeah, I mean, but I, I mean, I can see your point too. I can see it both ways with that. So regardless, you can't uh, say that Bowers is not having a great year. He certainly is. It's just a matter of how great, in all honesty. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, man, there's, there's so many guys. Those are my top two. And then it's like, you can really make a lot of, there's a lot of debate up for grabs as far as the next one. Uh, as far as a third guy, I'm going to go with a guy who doesn't get enough respect and his stats are not the, uh, the flashiest, uh, but man, he is, he is still considering the system he's in. He's putting up a, a heck of a year. Trey McBride, the tight end of Colorado state. We've mentioned him on the pod before 74 receptions on the year, 838 yards. Uh, only one touchdown on the year, but averaging 11.3 yards per catch. Um, it's not applicable for Mackey talk necessarily, but I want to, I want to talk a little bit about from a, from a scouting perspective on what he did at the previous level in high school. Uh, Omar, we've talked about this. I don't think on the podcast, but I know I've mentioned this to you before. I'm playing multiple sports, especially in high school is such an important thing, uh, from a scouting perspective. And man, he has his high school's record for most career basketball points, as well as most career home runs. He also played on the other side of the ball in high school, 60 tackles for loss, seven interceptions, and he has some special teams capabilities too. He has six block kicks in high school. McBride, he's athletic. Uh, he doesn't have the best quarterback uh, thrown to him. You know, he doesn't have a Grayson McCall or, you know, even a Stetson Bennett type guy that's thrown to him. And like I said, he hasn't put up the greatest numbers, but man, if you're, if you're actually like watching him, McBride has had a great year. And just the fact that he's on the semifinalist list with not even, you know, two touchdowns really speaks to that. Jeez. Well, I'm going to push back a little bit. And I think McBride is number two, I think, if not number one in the running, um, Actually, honestly, I'm going to say I think he's number one because if you – I mean, yeah, touchdowns are great, but he's got 74 catches. He leads the team in – I'm pretty sure he leads the team in catches um, on, a, on a Colorado State team that definitely does not like to pass the ball a lot. I mean, anyone that's that's seen Steve Adazio's offenses would much rather watch paint dry, um, and that's coming back from his um, – Boston College is no disrespect, but it's like it's not really conducive to to the young to the fans of today. I mean, yeah, they're sure they're throwing for 234 yards per game, but um, you know, for him to lead the team in receiving as a tight end, um, honestly, I'm impressed that they're even averaging 234 yards per game passing. I, I thought it was gonna be way less. Um, I definitely did not give Todd Santeo uh, and that off self credit, but I mean, like, you get the point. You think Steve Adazio, you think Andre Williams, you think um Anthony Dillon, uh, or AJ Dillon, geez, AJ Dillon and all that stuff. Uh, I feel like there's a reason that Anthony Brown transferred and he's doing so well at Oregon because, you know, the offensive system that Adazio, this, okay, I, I don't mean for this to become a, a Steve Adazio bashing, but like, I think that just proves my point where 
I think Trey McBride is is the front runner for this with 74 catches. I mean, no one would be surprised if this was a high flying pass offense like uh, Nevada in the Mountain West, which I mean, we'll get to Nevada later on when we talk about snubs. Um, but this is Colorado State, and I don't care if they're averaging 234 yards per game running the ball or throwing the ball. That's a team that would much rather run the ball. As David Bailey's having a nice year out there in Fort Collins, but. Um, that's just my opinion on McBride. I think he's a favorite. And if he doesn't win it, that's just ridiculous because he's got 43 more catches than, uh, than Brock Bowers with Georgia. And yeah, I mean, you can say number one team in the country, but like, he's just dominating stat wise for the semifinalists. Like, uh, you know, Cole, he's got way more catches than Charlie Cole a guy that like people thought was gonna be drafted pretty high after the season. But, uh, yeah, that, that's just my thoughts. McBride. I think he is the guy to, to beat in this race. No, absolutely. And um, man, I, I'm glad that uh, I, I feel kind of like a hypocrite after saying what I said about, you know, X and Z receivers, touchdowns don't matter as much as if you're a tight end. But man, I mean, your yards per catch and your touchdowns will probably be down with having so many targets. They always know to, to you know, cover you probably double covered. I haven't watched any McBride film or anything like that, but I would assume that he's double covered on every single play, you know, just because they know, I mean, uh, Omar, we talked about this earlier this year. Like there was one game where he had like 117 out of 119 passing yards or something like that. Like he had like just a ridiculous workload um, for, you know, our ridiculous proportion of the workload for the passing game, even, you know, they're not a pass happy team. But man, yeah, McBride, I think you're right, is probably the guy to beat. And um, he certainly is at the next level for sure. He's he's already looking like a starting tight end. And I feel like this is an award that's like friendly for the group of five because I think a couple of years ago we had Harrison Bryant win it for uh, Florida Atlantic. Um, and I think 2020, I want to say that Isaiah likely or no, no, sorry, my bad. Uh, your guy Kyle Pitts won it. But this is a very group of five friendly award, like relatively speaking. Uh, I'm gonna pull up the past yeah, winners no, it is. and just especially considering like I mean a lot of, there are a lot of you have to go back to like the 90s you know to see like who was the last non-power five guy to win it you know but man I mean not not for this award so uh, which is which is awesome I mean that's what we want to encourage right um, yeah. it, it's a still the the minority of it still unusual yeah, so so Bryant was the first and only group of five winner in 2019. But I mean, it's still like it, it's very recent and um, there's a lot of depth in terms of group of five for tight ends, which we'll talk about more for sure. But uh, yeah, I, I guess um, who's, who's the next semifinalist that you have uh, that you have ranked? Uh, I have my last one. I've got a couple of sleepers that are on the semifinalist list, um, too. But my last guy is a. Uh, one who we mentioned, Charlie Kohler, uh, out of Iowa State. Uh, 33 receptions, 430 yards, two touchdowns, and 13 yards per catch. It's not necessarily the stats that I'm looking at with this. Uh, he is a great run-blocking tight end, uh, really paved the way for Brees Hall a lot this year. And, uh, I mean, Brees Hall has not had the offensive line that he had to work with with last year, it seems like. Um, I, I from everything I've seen, at least I'm not sure. I haven't done enough research on this, but it seems like Bruce Hall, it's not him that's fallen off uh, in production-wise. It just seems like he doesn't have the surrounding pieces around him. And uh, Kohler is not one of those pieces that's fallen off. Uh, he also made a tremendous size. He's 6'6", 257, tremendously long arms with 34 and a quarter inch arms. That's longer than George Kittle and as long as Rob Gronkowski. Like, he has very ideal size for a tight end 
And uh, man, combine that with run blocking and a decent amount of production at the tight end position. Yeah, man, he's he's been a beast this year. I think for him, that's the guy where stats don't tell the whole story because, like you said, I mean, Brees Hall, um, and Iowa State's chock full of weapons out there in Ames. Um, so his numbers could be better if he was in a situation like like McBride. Um, but I mean, Charlie Kohler, he, I mean, he's been. Uh, pretty much a high reputation guy sliding up draft boards since last year. Good size. Like you said, um, I feel like, yeah, you have to be a good run blocker. If you're blocking for Brees Hall and playing uh, in the, in that scheme that loves to run the ball with Hall. Um, it's the same so, point yeah. that I made about, about Bowers. Like if you're yeah. running all these, like I said, 13, 22, 23 personnel sets, like you have to be, you know, have to stand out. Yeah, ex- exactly. But I mean, I will say this, like, like, like you said about Bowers, I don't think that perception is there as much as is Georgia, because like Georgia, for years, their calling card has been like, you know, running the ball. Iowa State, it's like people don't really have like any perception of them on offense, like, um, that's gonna hurt, that's gonna affect, that's gonna negatively, negatively affect like th- their tight ends that are, um, or I guess their passing game, like their perception of the passing game. So because I mean, you got Brock, you got Brock Purdy throwing the ball. Uh, compared to JT Daniels and um, and Stetson Bennett, which like those guys aren't bad, but I'm sure a lot of coaches would take uh, St- um, excuse me Brock Purdy over both of those guys in a heartbeat in any in any other scheme. So yeah, Omar, you're forgetting about that uh, Georgia that graphic that Georgia football posted uh, where they you know have quarterbacks are built between the hedges and they have like David Green and DJ Shockley and uh jake Fromm and all that remember they're known for their quarterbacks out there in athens yeah i mean <laughs> i think that's kind of funny i mean honestly Wincy like, Carter, uh, like they're known for this great uh, yeah yeah they're not yeah um, i mean some of those jokes tell themselves <laughs> they do hey i made a george joke and it wasn't 1980 related so oh no i'm proud of you no i i'm proud of you actually thanks for I mentioning should get a sticker that, for that yeah. Um, I'll go over my sleepers really quickly. Um, and then I'll let you get to your snubs. Uh, Derek Deese, a guy we briefly mentioned before from San Jose state 42 receptions, 677 yards, four touchdowns. Again, a whopping 16.1 yards per catch. Uh, Omar, I'm sure you're familiar with his dad, the longtime 49ers offensive tackle and super bowl 29 winner. Uh, so he has it in the bloodlines. He's a little bit undersized. Uh, but that doesn't really matter with playing at San Jose State. Uh, and he's having, you know, he's having a great year. Disappointing year for San Jose State was so certainly not the storyline that we could have had if they had had another successful year. But uh, certainly someone to watch out for. And finally, Greg Dolchich uh, from UCLA, 31 receptions, 477 yards, four touchdowns, just over 15 yards catch. Uh, a steep drop-off in production from last year where he averaged – uh, 19 yards per catch, but it, it's hard not to have a drop off when you're averaging 19 yards per catch. So, um, I will say this um, in terms of Derek Deese, one of the biggest what ifs of the college football season for, for both Deese and San Jose State is like, what would have happened if Nick Stark would have stayed healthy the whole year? I don't think they're going to make a bowl as much as I hate to say it, as that being, being my dad's favorite team um, with him being from Monterey. Uh, but they have Fresno State and they got Utah State, which Utah State is under the radar. For like that, that's a seven and two team. I, I honestly don't know how they lost to Boise State. But anyway, back to San Jose State. Like, um, 
I, I think I think Deese would have probably crossed a thousand yard mark um, in terms of it, like if if Stark was still there because he's got forty two for six seventy one. Deese is a deep threat and it's not as much um, as him finding the holes and being open. Uh, he's such he's a great jump ball receiver. Like there is this one catch against UNLV, um, which I guess a lot of America didn't see because that game started I think at eleven. 11 Eastern, like a super late start out, out, in, out on the West Coast of UNLV, but um, out of the Roomba, actually. But uh, he, like, climbed the ladder in almost double coverage, I think. Um, just made a spectacular grab, and that's, like, the kind of guy that – Deese is a highlight, real, real tight end, for sure. Um, yeah, like, uh, in terms of – I'm not – in terms of Dolchich, good numbers for UCLA, but, again, that sort of West Coast bias might stop him, which I'll, I'll elaborate more on the West Coast bias later on. Um, surprised you didn't mention Michael Mayer. Because uh, playing for Notre Dame, uh, you know, of course, it's a fighting Irish, biggest brand in college football, but also the tight end tradition that they have there. Like, there's been like a million tight ends that have gone to Notre Dame. It's like actually insane. Like, I'm going to just like, na- I'm going to name like all the ones I can think of right now. Of course, you have Dave Casper, the king of the Notre Dame tight ends. Dave Casper, you got John Carlson in like the mid 2000s. You have Tyler Eifert. You got Cole Komet. You have Trey Nicholas. I, I don't know if Troy Nicholas had a, such a long career. Troy Nicholas. You got um, Komet. Eifert. But yeah, like you get the idea. Like there's been like a million times. Big shoes to fill with Tommy Trimble as well. Tommy Trimble. Okay. Yeah. Him too. I mean, that's a guy that I was not aware of, but yeah, like you get the point in terms of tight ends, like in Notre Dame and Mary following that tradition. Like I would have thought he would have had a bigger, bigger year than he's had. Uh, you can say that about a couple guys in Notre Dame too, like Kyron Williams, but um, I mean, Michael Mayer still is a brand name tight end and a household name. Um, and he'll be drafted pretty high, I think, um, in the future. I mean, he's still only, I, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's a super freshman. Oh, he's a sophomore. Yeah. So he's a sophomore. So, I mean, yeah, Michael Mayer, I'm surprised, uh, you didn't mention him as a sleeper, honestly, but yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Trimble certainly has had a good year. There's only so many guys that I can fit on the list and, uh, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from him, but, uh, certainly a guy to watch and anytime you're watching Notre Dame it seems like that tight end spot does jump out at you but uh, I honestly for me I, I'd just rather mention Deese and Dulcich uh, Kohler all those guys but yeah I mean he is having a great year as well now I will make a quick note um, just to round out the semifinals to the Mackey Award we didn't mention Jordan Weidermeyer 30 catches 406 yard four to six yards and four touchdowns for A&M um, I, I'm not liking this stat line all that much, even though AM's had a resurgent year. I shouldn't even say resurgent, had a quality year because they were great last year. Um, but he he was a final, he's semifinals. I can go either way with him. Um, I guess now to my sleepers, like a bunch of group of five guys got hosed. And I'm gonna start with the biggest one, Cole Turner, which I think you've I feel like you mentioned beforehand in terms of Nevada and like a draft saw with Carson Strong. I just I just don't get this one because people love to talk about Carson Strong. Even Carson Strong is underappreciated, but people still talk about him being a draft ready quarterback, but they forget who he's throwing to, whether it be Romeo Dubs, who's had a great year, 55 catches, 726 yards, or in this case, Cole Turner, who has eight touchdowns and 55 catches, like in 618 yards. He's having a great year. I, I mean, like one of the best years. I mean, I, I mean, for tight ends this year, I've been one of the best like stat lines for any tight end in the country. But yet he's snubbed because he plays in the West Coast and plays in the Mountain West for Nevada. I, I just don't get it. I mean, like the West Coast buys who work for any other team, um, but like for Nevada, like it's the cars. People love Carson Strong, man. Like so, that's one snub I just don't get. Um, yeah, he I'll, is. I'll, I'll I mean, you go. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Cole Turner, he already had a breakout year in 2020 with what I think it was 600 yards and nine touchdowns, uh, former receiver. And then after last year, packed on another 35 pounds to make himself even larger, uh, even though he's already a gigantic human being. Uh, he's a great pass catching tight end. Uh, he's physical. He's tough to he's tough to uh, cover for sure. And I mean, it certainly helps when you have Carson Strong throwing you the ball as well. I mean, for sure. Like, I mean, I'm just kind of ashamed by that one, really. I mean, the numbers are there. They're way better than, like, I mean, a lot of the guys in the watch list. But it's just West Coast and Groupify bias, which, speaking of Groupify, uh, Groupify bias, then this next guy, Zach Kuntz, out of uh, Old Dominion, 53 catches, 550 yards, four touchdowns, better, solid numbers yard-wise, catch-wise as well. Um, the problem is he plays in conference USA, which I mean, I feel like every, feel like every week and like, it's just on accident. It just comes up where like we make fun of conference USA's lack of exposure, but like the point still stands. He plays in conference USA, the conference with the worst, with the worst television deal out of all the group of five, uh, and much, and much more FBS. But I mean, he's had, he's had good games, 119 yards against Western Kentucky. Uh, but I feel like a lot of those stats are just like come from, well, actually I won't even say they're like you know, come from behind stats because they've been competitive in, in like a lot of these games. But it's just hard when you're playing for Old Dominion team that's like hardly been relevant. And I mean, only one bowl appearance since moving up to D1 in 2013. Yeah, 2013. It, it, it's just hard, you know. So he's got uphill battle. But again, like you, you got to have people watching the games. Like, honestly, like if you're going to vote for the word, have people watching all over, all, all over FBS. Worst television deal among people who do not like watching their sports on live streams on Facebook. If you do, however, like watching your sports through live streams on Facebook is probably the best TV deal. I will say that. Yeah. I mean, the production value in the Facebook streams isn't, isn't bad because CBS backs them. I will say that. Like I was watching old dominion on Marshall when things got spicy in that game. I had to search for it, but once I found it, like I was not disappointed with the quality of it. Um, But even then still, it's like, until it until old heads or something to cover your games, man. Like, come on, you know, something accessible. They do, they do, but it's like even still, like I mean, like I will say this, like until old heads stop watching college sports, that's going to be a recurring problem because sports should be going the direction towards streaming, but the old heads keep watching and you know, like kind of, kind of ruining the progress. I mean, conferences, conferences like Conference USA are forward thinking, but you know, older folks can't really, you know find the games but i don't mean to crap on anyone old but it's just like that's just the way it is i mean that's just a trend i've been noticing but um i guess going to that topic staying conference usa with another snub um garrett prince for uab and you want to talk about a home run threat at tight end he's got 21 catches 471 yards he's got nine less catches and he's got more yards than uh jordan weidemeyer and like looking at greg dulcich i think he's got more yards than dulcich too um dulcich sorry or sitch uh, no, he's got seven less yards than, okay, Dulcich has good yards per catch. But yeah, Greg, Garrett Prince has 21 catches, 471 yards, 22 yards per catch, but seven touchdowns in 21 catches for a UAB team. And that's a team that's calling card is running the ball as well. But he's been a home run threat. And like, if you're going to like put a guy like Brock Bowers, who's been a home run threat at tight end, Isaiah Likely as well. I mean, you got to put Garrett Prince as well there, too. He's got a 72-yard touchdown catch for the Blazers this year. And, again, a third of his catches have been for touchdowns. Like, it, that's a total home run there. Like, look at these stat lines. Four catches, 114 yards versus Rice. 
three catches, 136 yards, and two touchdowns against North Texas. Like, these are elite stat lines. Um, but, yeah, just a, a few guys in Group 5 getting hosed by the Mackey committee. And that's the second – I want to point out, that's the second tight end that you've mentioned in these snubs as a former wide receiver. Uh, Garrett Prince was a, a former JUCO wide receiver. I forget the school, but – Man, I mean, it speaks a lot when you have this size and then you move a little bit inside and then have significantly more production. And I'm not sure about Prince, but I know Turner packed on a bunch a bunch of weight as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's just something to look at. It's something to keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, I, I didn't know he's a former receiver, too. But, I mean, it's like it, it's like some guys that don't have the speed at receiver, but you can bulk them up, you know. Uh, it's a good move for sure. Oh man, as I'm about to sneeze, um, or or not, but yeah, like I mean, we'll see. It's interesting some years where like guys have great stat lines, like um, in other awards, like 2018 comes to mind for me, where like you just can't ignore some of the stats. And I felt like you couldn't ignore the stats for for Cole Turner, but that's what they did. I always feel like there's no excuse if the Blitnikoff can make Andy Isabella a finalist for UMass. Um, there really is no excuse for any other award, honestly. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know what to say after that, honestly. Um, I don't want to be too hard on them considering they have likely and McBride and all these other group of five guys in Deese. I don't want to like hit on them too much considering we bring, we try and bring a lot of light to group of five guys, but at the same time, like they miss some obvious ones for sure. I mean, like, all you have to do is, like, the stack comparison. Like, I get I get Weidemeyer plays in the in the SEC, but, like, he's got 25 less catches and over 100 less yards than Cole Turner. It's like I, – I, I'm, I'm speechless. I, I, I really am. Uh, one thing I want to point out um, also, and, like, I, we've talked about this so many times. Uh, people are going to get tired of hearing of it. Like, at the next level in the NFL, like, if you play well, like, they will find you doesn't matter where you're playing like I remember seeing this tweet from uh from Daniel Jeremiah who's you know the head draft analyst at the the NFL network and he said like in all my years of working in front offices like not once did we mention oh he was like the Mackey winner or something like that like college football awards are irrelevant to guys when scouting at the next level and so this is truly like whoever wins it when we all watch the the presentation of you know and the awards and all that on uh, on ESPN like that is not necessarily the great greatest indicator of like who actually is the best or anything like that so just something to remember like it's not it's you know these are voted on by media members who do not have the the time or expertise to really learn all the ins and outs of this so just something to to remember when you're watching these and who wins them exactly and I think you hit the nail on the head I, I have nothing else to add player wise um yeah, so uh, do you want to move on to uh, games to watch this week, unless we had anything else on the docket? I don't think so. Heisman's pretty much the same, so no real need to go over that all that again. But, um, yeah, for sure, let's go ahead and go right into week 11. Gosh, it's hard to hard to believe yeah. But week 11 games to watch. Yeah, I, I will say this, Jackson. I mean, I don't think I have a single FPS game this week because, I mean, as the races heat up in FCS, like – uh, the playoff, the, the real playoff push um, heats up in the FCS. Like, 
there's a lot of great games this week. Like it's really judgment week in, in the FCS. So I'm going to start with my first game and I'm not, I I'm not doing this. have all FBS. So you go ahead, take the, the lead on the FCS. That's been the trend. I have one D three game, which I'm saving for, I'm saving for last because um, it's, it's, I think it's the best game of the week, honestly. Um, but I'm going to start, I'm going to start off with, uh, I'm not doing this to be a Homer, but Holy cross versus Fordham. Both teams are four and on the Patriot league. Uh, you know, you have a really contrast in styles. You have a two quarterback system for Holy Cross and they love to run the ball. Um, you know, they have Peter Oliver with over 600 yards running the ball very well. Three touchdowns. They have Marco Seidman throwing the ball well. And of course, Matt Saluka, the Zach Wilson, the Seven Hills running the ball very well at quarterback and also throwing it when he needs to as well. But Fordham, I mean, this is, I mean, for a Holy Cross fan, from my perspective, this is the scariest game of the season because you have Tim Demorat. This team's scarier than UConn. I'll be real. Demorat this year has 27 touchdowns in nine games, 2,641 yards. I mean, Demorat can sling the ball. Expect to see him in an all-star game near you. Um, really great quarterback. And I think he'll be a sleeper. I mean, Fordham's kind of got a little bit of a quarterback pedigree with uh with John Skelton, longtime NFL vet. But both teams are four now. This will likely decide who goes to the playoffs. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, I'm pretty nervous as a Holy Cross fan for this one, uh, because Demar can play, like I've said. But um, this game's in the Bronx at Coffee Field. Uh, so there won't be the the home field advantage of fit and field, but um, I think Fordham kind of struggles filling Coffee Field, so so we'll see. But yeah, that game is going to be at one o'clock Eastern on ESPN Plus. Um, so yeah, put that on your on your streaming stick and have that you know in the background or put on your laptop in the in the background because it's it's important. It's going to be a barn burner. Absolutely. That's going to be one to watch, especially in the Patriot League. A little bit later, we'll go over my uh, my sudden interest in Patriot League football. Uh, but anyways, I'm going to go uh, with my next game. Uh, Omar, uh, the Lions play at the Steelers this Sunday, uh, November 14th. They should send a bunch of scouts in a couple of days before for this one. North Carolina at Pittsburgh. Uh, Sam Howell and Kenny Pickett. Uh, Sam Howell, a guy who we were talking number one overall earlier this year, which is where the Lions are drafting if the draft was today. Uh, Kenny Pickett, a guy who we, you know, we didn't talk much about at all. And he is like surging as one of the best quarterbacks uh, in college football right now. These are two top 10 offenses, both averaging over 500 yards a game. Uh, UNC also disappointing here, yet to win a road game, which I found surprising. So this is definitely definitely going to be one to watch. Absolutely, too, because people don't realize that, like, Sam Howell is pretty much willing North Carolina. I think I saw a stat where it's, like, the amount of players in ACC, in ACC history with, I think, either 300 and 100 games, like, there's a certain number. He's up there with the likes of Lamar, Lamar Jackson and uh, Deshaun Watson in terms of being a dual threat. And it's really under the radar because North Carolina's had a, just not a good year. Um, but no, this is important as well. Um, I, I guess uh, I think I mean, it also speaks to how we didn't realize how important of a role um, Michael Carter and the, the Dante other, Williams. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we any of us realized how important they actually were last year. And it's not to take anything away from Sam Howell, but look at Sam Howell is playing pretty much just as good as he was last year, if not a little bit better. And man, they are significantly worse without Carter. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and watching this game closely will be a uh, Virginia. They'll be watching it closely because for them, uh, 
this will have important – I mean, this will make, I think, uh, the game on the 20th pretty much uh, the de facto ACC Coastal – Got my divisions mixed up. They, the, the de facto ACC Coastal Championship. Um, Virginia, of course, having the night game, the eight, the Saturday night football game against Notre Dame. Um, only their second appearance on Saturday night football, which is cool. But, uh, yeah, no, it should, should be fun on Thursday night on Veterans Day and everything. Um, my next game, I'm going to stay in the south, but I'm going to go with the SoCon right here. And we have uh, Mercer versus Chattanooga. We talked about Mercer last year coming so close to their first ever playoff appearance. They're back this year. They're 6-2. and two. They have one loss in the SoCon, and the SoCon is absolutely bananas this year because you got Chattanooga with one loss. You got, Eastern, you got East Tennessee State with one loss with Quay Holmes, who we've talked about before. You got VMI, Jacob Harris, and Seth Morgan out there in, in Lexington, Virginia. They have one loss. So you have four one-loss teams, and things are going to be proven in the next couple of weeks. But starting off with this game, you got Mercer. Quarterbacking them is uh, the former backup for Coastal Carolina and Grayson McCall, Fred Payton, who started the Georgia Southern game and played very well for the for the Chanticleers uh, last year. I mean, Mercer loves to run the ball, averaging over 236 yards per game, running the ball. They play tough defense, allowing about 21 points per game. But this game is, is absolutely huge down there in Macon, Georgia. Um, 3 p.m. Eastern against Nuga. Nuga also plays tough defense as well. So this one is going to be just a grind, a knockdown dragout game. Chattanooga allows 17 points per game um, on defense, and they're led by two guys with two with nine TFLs. Uh, Jay Person and Ty Beck, Boker Beck, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Um, and then on offense, they love to run the ball. Just a hard SoCon team. I mean, you might even say like the the SoCon, I mean, them being an FCS version of SEC team because they love to run the ball with Island Ford, who has 934 rushing yards. So this one, it's almost like an elimination game because I don't think the loser will get an at-large bid. Um, I mean, especially if it's Mercer, because Mercer got absolutely worked by a VMI earlier this year. Uh, 45 to seven. So I don't think the loser gets at large bid. And plus Mercer has East Tennessee state uh, the next week, but you know, this could be a two weeks. This could be two weeks to remember for Mercer. If they, if they end up beating Chattanooga and I don't think Chattanooga gets at large with the six and three record. Um, so yeah, uh, down there in Mercer, 3 PM Eastern on ESPN plus. You mentioned uh, the games in Macon. It's not a far drive to Macon from Augusta. Are you going to be attending this game? <laughs> You're muted again, man. Come on. I know. I don't. I don't know. Honestly, I might. I might have to wait it out. But, um, you you make a good point. I will say that. I will say that, Mr. Danner. You do make a good point. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll we'll see for sure. Yeah, man. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and get my last Power Five game over with. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and go with Oklahoma at Baylor right here in Waco. Uh, somehow Baylor did not really drop in the rankings this past week. Uh, Baylor has a very balanced offense, and I, I, they really do. It's 227 passing yards per game on average, 231 rushing yards per game on average. Uh, Oklahoma, if you're looking at their defense, they have the 37th ranked rushing defense and 233rd ranked passing defense. It's going to mean that the game's going to be in Jerry Bohanahan's uh, hands. Uh, of which he did throw a, a, a pretty much what was a game losing interception last week on the road at, at TCU. Uh, Baylor, their two losses, neither of them have come in McLean. Uh, and the good news is, I mean, yes, it is Caleb Williams, who's just, I mean, apparently we're handing him the Heisman Trophy now. But uh, what got the beat last time was Jalen Hurts and one of the best performances we've seen 
uh, in a while in the Big 12 at quarterback. So uh, they don't have him on the other side. It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, last time these two teams played uh, in Waco, um, I mean, Baylor got off to a very fast start and then, you know, blew the lead Falcon style. But um, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, uh, kind of anticlimactic after the Baylor loss versus TCU. But uh, I, I have a hard time picturing this Baylor team losing like two games in a row in the style that they did. So the, at the very least, put up a fight. We'll see if they can pull off the upset at home. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like I kind of feel like Baylor has an Oklahoma monkey to shake off their back, honestly, like because uh, you remember the 2019 game um, and it seemed like in the in the Big 12 title game in 2019 that they put in, I think, Jacob, Jacob Zeno a little too late, who I think he's transferred by now. Um, but Gary Bohannon since improved a lot by then because I think Charlie Brewer got hurt um, early on. in that. Yeah, game. Brewer, Brewer got hurt in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, that was the second time they played. The first time I, I was there at the game in 2019. And I mean, my gosh, that was just an incredible performance. Uh, more so an incredible performance by Oklahoma than a collapse by Baylor. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. They do have an Oklahoma monkey to shake off their back and we'll, we'll see if they can get it done here. Absolutely. I mean, I'm kind of surprised this one wasn't the night game. There's like a whole bunch of inner workings there too, like uh, in terms of, who gets what? Uh, I, oh, yeah, this is big noon kickoff. Yeah, big um, noon so kickoff. Oklahoma, the most important game of the week, Omar. Come on. So uh, Oklahoma fans are not happy. They, uh, they're they staying mad right now. <laughs> that's the reason they left the Big 12. I mean, that's what that was the first domino. Nebraska-Oklahoma at noon. First domino I, conference realignment. I saw this tweet. It, it was really funny. It was, uh, oh, gosh, what did it say? It was like all Baylor had to do was uh, – beat TCU and now because they lost like Clay Travis is going to be talking about cancel culture at seven in the morning <laughs> with uh with big noon coming down there Fox show. oh man um yeah I just gotta say man like the people that signed off on that um I gotta wonder what they're thinking man if it was if that was really gonna drive ratings but uh, I don't want to get too much into Clay Travis and outkick but uh anyway so I think that's a good time to move on to this next game um so in the MIAC which is a, something I'm gonna cover tomorrow uh, tomorrow and releasing on Friday with uh Dwayne from HBCU the yard sport the yard HBCU sports a you know longtime friend of the podcast um so there is a possibility for a three-way tie in the MIAC and for a spot in the celebration bowl and just yesterday the MIAC released their tie-breaking scenarios there's a scenario where North Carolina Central, Norfolk State, and South Carolina State will all end up with a 4-1 and record. And I've talked about the five-game season before. So there's two games. Well, there's actually three games you need to watch. Um, first up, you got – let me pull up the schedule because I remember – I don't remember the times. I remember the games being played. So first up, you got uh, you got Howard NC Central at 1 o'clock. Um, you know, Howard struggled this year. North Carolina Central, they beat Norfolk State last week, something that I did not expect in an absolute thriller, 38-36 game. You got Davius Richard throwing the ball well with uh, 13 touchdowns and five picks. Uh, also running the ball very well, too, for the Eagles so with uh, 253 rushing yards. But, I mean, mentioned Davius Richard last week. They're at four and five, but they're, uh, they have one loss in conference with two games to play. They got Howard. Then you got Norfolk State. You know, we've talked about Norfolk State and that star-studded team uh, with, uh, with, the Sean, with the Sean Dixon uh, making the East-West Shrine, East West Shrine Bowl. You had J.J. Davis last week being an absolute revelation with over 208, 217 yards and three touchdowns on only 18 carries against North Carolina Central in that double overtime game. And, of course, Juwan Carter, 17 touchdowns and two picks. They have Delaware State, a team that played that 
would have also had a chance at a fourth at a four-way tie had they not lost to Morgan State. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it's it's pretty wild in the MIAC. That one's at one o'clock as well. Um, Norfolk State needs to win that one, and then. Oddly enough, non-conference non-conference play will have a role in this tiebreaker because if all three teams end up at four and one, then it goes down to who has the most wins against FCS non-conference opponents. That being said, South Carolina State hosts North Carolina A and T. North Carolina North Carolina A and T is now in the Big South. If uh, if you don't remember with the whole realignment thing, this one should be a good game because you got um, you got Jalen Fowler. Um, throwing the ball pretty well, 10 touchdowns, eight picks, 1,714 yards. Throwing, he has to throw the ball against Kobe Durant, East West Shrine Bowl invite. Um, that game is, uh, is at 1.30 out there in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Um, so just wild times in the MIAC. I grouped that as one game because, really, I mean, it, it's it's a national title race because the winner gets the black college football national title. Winner of the celebration will gets the black college football national title. So um, just really chaotic, uh, really pick your poison for whichever game. Like I tell it, like I've been saying, like it's a judgment week for FCS football. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it certainly is. There's so many great games at the FCS level uh, this week. It's a really deep slate. And man, if you don't have an ESPN, plus subscription you you got to get one if only for this week it's like six bucks a month uh, and you get so much quality football uh live streamed with it as well uh this is not a commercial for espn plus i might add it's just worth it because i know i watch it every saturday i know you do too uh, i'll go ahead and go with my next game um i'm gonna go with ucf at smu uh, this is a really important game in the American Athletic Conference. If you don't remember the AAC, I'll like the Big 12 has no divisions, right? So it's just the top two. Uh, Cincinnati, then there's Cincinnati, then there's Houston, then there's these two. And that's a huge drop off after that with UCF. Uh, they might be looking forward to a big game versus UConn next week, but uh, certainly an important game this week for them to win. Uh, SMU. They do have Cincinnati next week at eight and four is a lot worse than nine and three for these two teams. And uh, it looks like the winner might go to the military bowl. And then the other one in the SoFi Hawaii bowl, uh, whoever loses this game, which is, I mean, we will talk about this. I'm sure on bulls and booze during Monday night, halftime on Instagram live shameless plug, but um, I, I mean, it's a big difference in caliber of bowl games with that. Uh, because that's the third and the fourth tie-in for the AAC. Um, so we'll see. I don't know what what are kind of your thoughts on on this game. So I think it's huge because like before you know it, like with SMU losing to um with SMU losing to Memphis, like the 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 race for the for a spot in the AAC, in the AAC title game is like a lot tighter than like people would have expected if you looked at you know even last week. Um. Yeah, I think, I mean, SMU is kind of out of it. I think so. The thing is with the ESPN Bowl, it's just like a quick, um, quick bowl talk. I love, I love talking about the process, processes of these bowl games. It's like, so with ESPN, they'll create made-for-TV matchups. So like looking at the Fenway Bowl, uh, which is great that they play a Power 5 team, but they'll probably go, I think, one of two routes. You get SMU and Tanner Mordecai, high-powered offense, high-powered offense versus high-powered offense, SMU-UNC at the Fenway Bowl. Um, or in that case, the, the military bowl too, because the, the, I mean, the AAC kind of lacks depth this year. There's only going to be like six bowl teams and it's even then it's top heavy conferences here. Um, or they'll go with UCF for UCF's case. If they win maybe like one more game or so, 
I, I think no matter what, UCF might be destined for a matchup with like Miami. I think ESPN might might even set up a uh, a Miami UCF UCF matchup, something that we've hardly seen uh, just for the TV ratings. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, Hawaii. It'll be interesting to see who gets sent out to Hawaii. Um, I mean, that doesn't sound like a punishment, but opponent wise, it's like a big drop. Um, so yeah. Uh, but yeah, huge game too. Mikey Keen's trying to find his way at, at quarterback uh, with Dylan Gabriel injured. Um, so we'll, we'll see for sure. Like, there's, I think, I, I don't think it'll be as much as explosion as it would be in pro, in past years, but it should still be an interesting game. Yeah, no, it should be. And like you said, SMU has had such a drastic turn of their season. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, yeah, there's Michigan State, Ohio State, but SMU, Cincinnati might really be the biggest game on the lineup for that week. And now this is completely different now. Now we're talking about Montana state or whatever is game day might be going there uh, the week before rivalry, rivalry, rivalry week. Um, so yeah, no, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see uh, with UCF and SMU. Like I said, eight and four is a lot worse than nine and three. You do not want to be facing that. So, and, and both of these teams are. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, which that that's gonna be a huge game. Well, what channel did you say it was gonna be on? Is that is that ESPNU or? Uh, I believe so. Let me double check that real quick. I'm so not sure. Okay, so it I, is. I, let's see. Uh, I'll pull it up. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. So for my next game, I'm gonna go again opposite direction. Like I said, all all FCS games, one D three game, um, in a time tested rivalry like no other. Or what it, I mean, you know, one of two time test rivalries we'll be talking about. You got Yale versus Princeton, the HYP triumvirate, Harvard, Yale, Princeton. You talk about the history of college football. Yale and Princeton, um, you know, playing at the at the at the polo grounds ever since like the 1880s and really nationally relevant games. The Ivy League race is another conference race that'll get spicy. I'm not just saying this because like I love the Ivy League, but there's a legitimate chance for a three-way tie in the Ivy League. With Dartmouth beating Princeton on Friday on last Friday night, it really complicated things because you have three one-loss teams at the top. Yale, of course, has Harvard next week. Harvard has two losses in conference. Um, Princeton and Yale, well, shoot. Um, right now, this is a three-way tie. So I will say that. So, I mean, you could have three teams with two losses in the final week. But Princeton looks to rebound after last week. I thought they were unbeatable. You got Cole Smith and Colin Eady. Yale, on the other hand, like, they're finding their group on offense. Like, last week, they've, aver- they've had 100 They've had 100 points their past two games. Last week, well, actually, shoot, 142 points. We'll bring them back to the, to the past three games. They've had 142 points in their last three games. Um, last week, 63-38 to 38 win over Brown. And I'm gonna bring, I'm gonna bring a quick aside. We love EJ Perry, Senior Bowl watch list. Can you get this man some help? This man, <laughs> this man threw for 261 yards and three touchdowns. Was the second leading rusher with 74 rushing yards on only six carries. Had a 56 yard run. This man was the second leading receiver in a game where Brown threw for 336 yards and he had a 64 yard touchdown catch. Like it's it's almost becoming a joke now how much EJ Perry does. Like like this man needs help. But Yale was able to overcome that with a 63-38 to 38 win. They have a high-powered offense. They made a quarterback change from um, 2018 uh, Rookie of the Year, Ivy League Rookie of the Year, Griffin O'Connor to Nolan Grooms, who's had 11 touchdowns and two picks. He's on a three-game tear, uh, throwing for 283 against Penn, 279 against Columbia, you know, a little, little sad face, and then 330 yards against Brown on only 26 attempts. So should be a really awesome game out there in Princeton. Again, 1 o'clock 
at Princeton at um I almost called it Palmer Stadium the old one but like honestly Jackson like this whole noon slot is like it's kind of packed like on the FCS I don't think I've mentioned a game oh yeah Mercer was in like the, the late afternoon slot but it's like there's just so many great games in the FCS in the afternoon it, it's pretty wild You know, there, there is a stacked noon slate. Uh, if you're going to be watching these games on Apple TV, just know on the ESPN app, which, you know, you watch all the ESPN Plus games on, you can, like, actually stack, like, four on the screen, which is really cool. So get Apple I TV. So you, I did not know that. It, it's clutch. It's clutch. So, yeah. No, get an Apple TV, and then you can, you know, put – it's like there's – there's options for the layout, like two, three, four games. It's really cool. So you'll definitely need that for your FCS noon slate for sure. Um, I'm going to go ahead and go with my next game. It might not seem on the surface like a very important game, but I, I beg to differ. Tulsa at Tulane. Uh, Tulsa might be the best three and six team in the country. I'm not saying that sarcastically. Uh, their losses are the first ones to UC Davis, who is eight and one. Omar, UCS, UC Davis's margin of victory is 20 points above, or uh, a little over 20 points on average. Like they are dominating pretty much everyone that they play. Uh, there are other losses you might ask Oklahoma State, understandable. Ohio State, understandable. Houston, they're eight and one. Cincinnati, nothing needs to be said. Navy is really their only bad loss. Um, Tulane on the preseason, we're on the Michael Pride hype train for sure. You cannot possibly say that Tulane is having a good season. They've also played only one team with a losing record. They've played Oklahoma State, Old Miss, Cincinnati. They played SMU while they were undefeated. Uh, this is a must-win game for Tulsa, especially if they're going to make a bowl game. Uh, and Tulane, yes, they only have one win on the year. They have just had a string of bad luck of their opponents. Uh, Tulsa did not have much luck in that category either. We'll see. Um, I mean, Tulsa has to win this game for a bowl. Neither team is having a great year. It'll be interesting. Just a lot of fight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm interested you picked this one because I don't think Tulsa has a good bowl outlook, but – I mean, yeah, like they, they don't, they have but a, they have no bowl outlook if they don't win this one. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that should be a really close game. Like it really should be. And um, in any other year, like if we're talking last year, like that last year came down to the wire, like uh, the Hail Mary. I think it was like the Hail Mary in regulation like, against there was that. Yeah, that was the Hail Mary that they had um, against Tulane. And then Zayvon Collins had like the pick six to end it in overtime to rob Tulane of their first win against the AP ranked team since 84. Absolutely heart-wrenching for, for the green wave, but just an instant classic as well. Um, but, yeah, may, we, we probably won't get that caliber of game this year. But, again, like, I mean, it, 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 still, it still should be, I mean, a, a good game for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, hopefully it's good. Otherwise, I just sound like an idiot uh, for calling for this, you know, this game. Um, yeah. We'll see. I mean, Tulsa, like both these teams, I was looking at it and I don't know why I just wanted to look a little bit deeper into this game. I was like, my gosh, like these two teams have like played some legit opponents. Like UC Davis is no joke. And they've played, you know, uh, gosh, a couple playoff caliber teams. Um, so it'll, it's, it'll be interesting to watch. And like I said, neither team is good by any means, but uh, um, 
I'm pulling for Tulsa and this one just because they have a shot at a bowl game, right? But hopefully Pratt can bounce back for next year. Absolutely. I mean, should be a fun one to watch for sure. Um, what, what channel was that on? Was that ESPN Plus? Man, Omar, the one week you asked me the channels, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to verify. And, uh, I'll all. take a look at it real quick. Um, let's see. Let's see. All right, well, I'll go on to my next game. Your um, next game yeah. And by the way, the UCF game is going to be on ESPNU as well. Okay, perfect. Um, so my next game, you know, huge conference realignment news. I mean, for anyone that's really not living under a rock, one of the teams that benefited from it, James Madison, they're on their way out. And it's kind of a bitter divorce from from uh, the Colonial Athletic Association as a Colonial Athletic Association is preventing their teams from competing in championships for uh, until um, they leave in 2023, which caused James Madison to terminate their membership starting in 2022. So a lot of bad blood out there. But James Madison, of course, a traditional power in FCS and kind of some new blood. It's a bit of a blue blood versus new blood. I mean, it's not exactly new in the sense that like William and Mary uh, hasn't been around for a long time because this is a second, second oldest institution of higher learning in America uh, in William and Mary in Williamsburg, but they're, they're new to the FCS. They're new to the, I guess, being elite scene. They haven't had a playoff appearance since 2015. They're playing James Madison. Um, James Madison, of course, led by Cole Johnson, having a great year, 25 touchdowns, only two picks. For, uh, for the Dukes, they got a great receiving core led by Antoine Wells Jr., 49 catches, 753 yards. But they run into – it's a bit of a, a unstoppable force meets an immovable object because William & Mary is, pre- is playing great football. They're playing great defense, allowing under 20 – allowing only under 20 points per game. They're 6-3. and three. They had a dominant game against uh, Villanova, beating them 30, 31-18. Lost to Delaware last week, but this is a team fighting for an at-large playoff berth. Um, and it should be interesting because you have the classic defense versus offense matchup right here. I mean, I mean, they're averaging less than 22.9 yards per game. So you won't expect many fireworks from the tribe, but again, a fun game too. And it's, I mean, shoot, I swear we don't mean to crap on anyone's TV partners, but like 3.30 PM Eastern on flow sports. I just, just watch the stat cast. Just watch the stat cast, man. I don't even I'm Do not pay for Flow Sports. I don't care if you're Jeff Bezos and happen to be listening to this. Do not pay for Flow Sports. It's not. It's such it. a bad product. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just gonna say that. I mean, it should be it a fun is. game. And um, after that, William and Mary has Richmond the next week. Um, in-state rivalry, the Spiders have an off year, but they have to. I think they have to win. If they win here, I think if they beat James Madison, they're locked up for an at-large berth in the playoffs, which is why this game's so huge. And it's a program-defining sure. win. Like with Zoom, everything, however, subscribe to ESPNU because that is the channel that Tulsa Tulane and UCF uh, will be on. Yeah, so yeah, there you have yeah. it. Like, uh, I mean, yeah, this is a program defining with, with like all the bad blood happening with conference realignment. Could you imagine William and Mary, like, you know, beating James Madison and, and using that when to go to the playoffs? Like, just so many storylines oh, right there yeah. for that one. No, there is, there is for sure. Um, I'm gonna go with my next game. Uh, Omar, you know how much I'm into Patriot League football. I can't get enough of it. Um, this Bucknell defense is no joke, man. Uh, they've got two players. With, They're trash, uh, Jackson. This team, this team is trash. Don't even try to say this. Bucknell is out. trash. <laughs> uh, man, they've got two players with over six tackles for loss. Army only has one. Uh, they've got nine forced fumbles on the year. Uh, Army only has five. This Bucknell offense has a ridiculous 92% success rate when they do get in the red zone. 
Army's success rate is significantly lower when in the red zone. These two opponents are probably pretty even, most would consider. Uh, probably comes down to special teams in the end. Uh, Army is averaging less than 10 yards per punt, Omar. We talk so much about the importance of special teams, and Army is average, not even 10 yards a punt. Uh, the Bucknell punter, he has over 33 yards a punt. I'm going to say some experts will call this an upset. I think the better team wins this one. Are you, are you sure reading that right? Zach Harding is averaging less than 10 yards a punt. That's what I read on the uh, Army cumulative statistics. On that, the- that's definitely a lie. Um, that, that's <laughs> definitely a lie. One, two, Bucknell has only scored 98 points in the year and allowed 309. <laughs> Do that what you will. Uh, they got blown out by a winless Lehigh team. Jackson, you couldn't, you, you couldn't spin that one anyway. Um, Bucknell Army, I mean, traditional Eastern. If, you, East, if Eastern I did games. have to spin it, I think I spin it pretty well, right? I mean, I don't think so, man. I, you you <laughs> didn't get the stats right, honestly, man. Because Zach Harding is definitely not averaging less than ten yards. A I, I I saw it. I'm sure that's wrong because I didn't believe it either. But I didn't look at it any deeper than just the the I guess the cumulative site that was wrong. Unless I just you know on those sides you have to line it up with the you know the Excel sheet basically, and you know I probably got it. But anyways, so we'll see. Yeah, so I, I will say that. But <laughs> um, well, okay. So moving on to my last game, and you see, so, you know what makes I mean, we're starting to have you know the great rivalries of college football begin. I mean, next week will be Ivy League rivalry week. Rivalry week, excuse me. We got you know Harvard Yale, and you have the Florida Classic next week. Well, rivalry rivalry week. Geez, that's harder to say. Begins this week when you have Amherst versus Williams. And this rivalry is the biggest little game in America. These teams have been playing since 1881. And this rivalry goes six, goes back 60 years further, 1821. Zephaniah Swift Moore, the president of Williams at that time, had, had determined that Williamstown was too remote. As I'm reading from the Wikipedia page, they, he decided that the campus in Williamstown was too remote. So he started his own college. He up and left his president position at, 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 uh, excuse me, at Williams University to start Amherst College. And so that's where the rivalry started uh, between there in 1821 with the the president starting Amherst College. Again, these teams have been meeting since 1881. There was no biggest little game in America last year due to the pandemic. This rivalry is back this weekend and with high stakes. Williams College, uh, they are 8-0. They're 8-0 this year. Um, Amherst is 5-3. You know, high stakes. Amherst plays great defense, allowing only 18 points a game. Williams has a solid quarterback in Bobby Mymarin with over four with 495 rushing yards net, over 585 non-sack rushing yards, passing the ball. He has 13 touchdowns. I mean, this game, it, it's great. It's everything great about college football. You got history, you got division three, you got players playing for the love of the game. Um, excuse me, you have tradition. Um, and you have high stakes as well. I mean, Williams has such a great college football tradition. I believe um, when ESPN released her top one, 150 colleges of all time, I think Dick Farley made it. And Dick Farley is a college football Hall of Fame coach who their field is named after. And he had, I think, over a 70 or 80 win percentage for the Eves. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're wondering, two of the most unique um, college mascots, you had the Williams Eves, which is a cow. I'll have to ask my cousin Crystal, a Williams graduate. Shout out, Crystal. Um but and then Amherst used to be the Lord Jeffs until they found out Lord Jeffrey Amherst was kind of a jerk bag. Um, so they changed that to the mammoths. But uh, great rivalry. It's on Nesson. I mean, it's it's I'm getting chills talking about it. The biggest little game in America. Tune in.
I love the mammoths, by the way. That's very um, original, to say the least. Oh, it's um, great. It's great. By the way, you're right. It's nine. It's nine yards a punt return. Punt return average, which is why. So I admit I did screw that up. Maybe this game won't be as close after all. But um, yeah, man, absolutely. But definitely the best game going on in Division Three football this week. And um, like you said, it's just for the love of the game, man. Like these guys, they're playing. Uh, they have no other reason to play than besides the fact that they love football, and uh, they want to want to you know continue that as long as they can, which is awesome to see. So, but man, that that about wraps up for me. Anything else you got for the week? Uh, no, that should be it. I mean, I'm excited for this week. I mean, really, the the races are are taking shape, and like I said, rivalries. Um, I kind of want to, you know, geez, I kind of want to get some hot cocoa or something and find a, find a stream of the Amherst Williams game, sit down with some hot cocoa and, and, or something, something wintry. Maybe you should buy the, uh, the flow sports package, just go all out, you know? No, I don't, I don't think that's on flow sports. <laughs> that's the thing. Like I'm trying to figure no, out no, no, how, like how for the is. other game you're talking about, that's on flow sports. Go ahead. You know, why not? See, I don't, I don't like William and Mary that much or J or James Madison that much. Um, yeah, like I'm trying to figure out. Let's see to watch it. Is there? A, yeah, NSN Northeast Sports Network. There might be a way I can watch this. Okay, we'll see. Because I'm excited for Amherst Williams. The, uh, you know, Game Day visited there in uh, in 2007. So very well known rivalry. We went to a D3 school. I couldn't remember what which it was, but yeah, yeah it was it was Williams and, and Amherst for the biggest biggest little game in America. So uh, it's it's a you know I'm excited. You know, so yeah, that's all I got to say. Yeah, man. Well, that that's awesome, man. Uh, like we say, it seems like almost every week the games where there, the week where there's not that many like great games always is the week where the you know craziest stuff happens. So that's gonna be awesome to see. Although it is a stack slate at the FCS level, I will say, just maybe not. I'm amazed. I was amazed by how stacked the slate is. So if yeah. you're gonna watch, like if you get bored and like the game, the marquee games get a bit out of hand. Definitely tune into ESPN Plus because I mean there'll be at least one game out of that moment that has like huge playoff. And ESPN Plus, like they show the scores on the preview too, so it's not like you're gonna have to tune into each one and see where it's at. Like you can you can see the score before you click on it. Um. So, anyways, for what it's worth, yeah, man, we'll get ESPN Plus. Uh, you know, get that Apple TV with the four screen set up. And uh, we'll be all set for another great week of college football. We don't have too many left. It's because, like, uh, this year has, like, flown by. So, that'll be awesome. But, yeah, man, uh, that about wraps it up for me. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. And, uh, you know, we'll, you know, enjoy each weekend of college football because it's kind of running out. Um, but until then, peace, love, and soul.